Broadcasting from Sunny Shore City, you're listening to The Underground Radio, bringing you all of the very best Pokemon news and views this side of Twist Mountain. For today's broadcast, we'll be highlighting some of the latest Pokemon news, helping you to break out of the OU box, and discussing the Pokemon world's classiest feline. So sit back, relax, and give your Radio Rotom what it wants. Hey, Sam. Yes. What have you been up to in Pokemon this week? Well, uh, I started playing Heart Gold again. I only had about two or three hours on it because I never actually played Heart Gold all that much because I had Soul Silver. That was my primary fourth gen game that I did. Aha. And uh, I started playing that again. I was going to try and play through to pick up some of the uh, legendary Pokemon in that version because the ones that I picked up in Soul Silver were back in the day when the only attention that I paid to IVs were to go to the judge and have him say, oh, these are, you know, relatively superior or above average. And I was like, cool, that means it's good, right? Turns out that's not necessarily good. So I was going through there, and when I was playing through Heart Gold, I got to the point where you could pick up the shiny Gyarados in the Lake of Rage, and I managed to roll a shiny Gyarados with an adamant nature and relatively superior IVs within one or two soft resets. Nice. That's, so pre- that's was, pretty intense. Yes, I was very pleased about that. So uh, I heard that you also restarted a game recently? I did. I restarted my copy of Heart Gold, which was a bigger deal for me because Heart Gold was my fourth gen game. Oh. But... I had moved over all of the Pokemon that I wanted to move over from it to 2 okay. fifth gen. And so it was just kind of sitting there, this half-empty shell of a game, and I felt sorry for it. And I didn't actually go through and catch most of the legendaries that I wanted to because I didn't have the time to do the soft resetting. But now that I had moved over the Pokemon from 4th gen that were any good, I'd have to basically start all over anyway so you also have a copy of soul silver too right yeah i do and the my copy of soul silver right now is tied up in a nuzlocke but wow i'm i'm sorry i'm (laughs) i'm i'm not the kind of person who could do a nuzlocke so very i commend you on that it's not easy i've i've almost lost my ghastly like twice i waited until night before I went into this new area because I knew if I waited till night, I had a good chance of getting a ghastly. So I shut off the game and waited for like four hours so that I could go in, get the ghastly. And now that I have it, like every Pokemon I come across has bite. Oh no. It's like, oh no, it's ghastly. And that was in the Bellsprout Tower, right? Yes, yes. Because if you go in during the day, all you're going to get is Bellsprout. But if you go in at night, you totally get ghastly. That's a good thing to know. Uh, you also found your... I heard you also found something of yours, too? My Pokewalker! When I decided that I was going to start re- replaying Heart Gold, I wanted to start using my Pokewalker again, because I've started going running with my dog, and I was like, well, if I'm going to be running, why am I not using my Pokewalker? Totally. Because it's awesome. And then I couldn't find it. And oh, I was no. I was really sad about it for a while because I thought my apartment ate it. My apartment eats lots of things like TV remotes and video Apart- games. Apartments have a very bad habit of doing that. It's a true story. They always come back eventually, but 
So I was I was sitting at my dining room table and I turned around and it was just right there on the bookshelf staring at me. Nice. It's like, hey, 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 I'm right I'm right here. You've been looking for me for like a week and I'm sitting right here. <laughs> and it'll also be really good too because even though you soft resetted for you reset your whole game for Heart Gold, you'll at least be able to build up the Watts again to be able to unlock all those routes. Oh, heck yes. I'll lose the event routes, but I've gotten all of the Pokemon that I wanted from the event routes anyway. Yeah. So it was like, well, whatever. So that is what I've been up to this week. And I guess with that, we will head into the news segment of our show. Welcome to the news desk. And once again, we have reached the news portion of our segment where we are bringing you all of the Pokemon news that is fit to print or talk about whatever. We're a podcast, not a newspaper. Totally. (laughs) First up on the docket, uh, Japan is receiving a Kildeo event. Starting June 23rd, Pokemon trainers in Japan will be able to download via Wi-Fi Kaldeo, marking the Pokemon's first appearance in the games. This, this event date correlates with the approximate time Black and White 2 will be released in Japan. The event Kaldeo will be level 15, and its moveset has been confirmed thanks to Serebii's translation of the most recent Korokoro, and will include Sacred Sword, Aqua Jet, Hydro Pump, and Close Combat. The official Pokemon website also confirms that the Global Link will be compatible with Black and White 2. The Global Link will be going down in June for the required updates needed to complete the compatibility with the new games. It is unclear how much change will with the release in the new games or what, if any, new features will be added. There are new XTCG tins available for purchase. These new collector's tins, retailing for approximately $15 USD, feature Reshiram, QRAM, and Zekrom on the covers and come with either the Reshiram X, QRAM X, or Zekrom X card, four booster packs from the black and white sets, and an extra code for the online version of the TCG. They do not, unfortunately, come with figures this time. That's too bad. It really is. Uh, Yahoo Kids reveals the first three cards for the upcoming Dark Explorers TCG set. Uh, these three cards were an Umbreon, a Darkrai EX, and a Zoroark. And the 108 set of the cards will be available May 9th. Now comes the giant news thing for this week. Registration for the 2012 International Challenge opened up on March 15th, 2012, and will run until March 21st, 2012. The tournament will be run through the Global Battle Union on the Pokemon Global Link. And it will include players from all over the world and is limited to only 50,000 spots. The format of the battles will be doubles and will be open to almost all Pokemon found in the Unova National Pokedex, Uh, number 1 through 646. These Pokemon that are banned would be the Mewtwo, the Mew, the Lugia, the Ho-Oh, Celebi, Kyogre, Groudon, Rayquaza, Jirachi, Deoxys, Dialga, Palkia, Giratina, Fion, Manaphy, Darkrai, Shaman, Arceus, Victini, Reshiram, Zekrom, and Qrem. The moves Dark Void and Skydrop are also banned. Also, so is the Wonder Launcher. No Wonder Launchers. Yes, but nobody 
really wants to use the Wonder Launcher anyway. Wonder Launcher is cheap. Yes, it is. All of your Pokemon leveled 51 or higher will automatically be adjusted down to level 50. But if your Pokemon are at level 49 or lower, they will not be auto-leveled. So if you're going to be entering this challenge, please be sure that all of your participating Pokemon are at least level 50. One cannot have two Pokemon with the same National or Unova Dex Pokemon numbers on them, on their team. So if you're going to be entering the whole idea of maybe going with one Pokemon that's numbered 151 in the National Pokedex and one that was numbered 151 in the Unova Dex is not allowed either. So that's another thought to consider. Pokemon may only have moves learned by leveling up by Technical Machine or Hidden Machine or as an egg mood move through breeding from a character in the game or already known by a Pokemon received at an official Pokemon event. Basically, this means that you can't be using Pokemon that are coming up from fourth gen move tutor moves, yeah? Uh, no, actually. You could totally use Pokemon who know fourth gen move tutor moves. It's, oh most, it's mostly a way to prevent Pokemon that would be hacked for from entering the contest. Say, like, you would have a uh, Pokemon like uh, Moltres that would know something like Superpower. That's obviously a hack and it's not allowed. And it's just trying to keep it in the fair spirit of things to make it so that you have to have at least legitimate Pokemon when you're entering this tournament. Aha. And speaking of words of caution... Uh, once Pokemon have been selected and your battle box has been registered, the battle box will remain locked until the end of the competition, and you will be unable to change the Pokemon or their held items. So before you register your Pokemon for this tournament, which will end on the 21st, you should make sure that your Pokemon will all be up to level 50, they will all have all the items they want, and you have to be sure that you're not going to want to switch them out at any time while the tournament is going on. Which means you need to consider if you're going to want to use that Pokemon within the next week and a half or so. True story. The competition dates will be between March 22nd and March 26th, 2012, with results based on rankings at the end of the competition period, which will be posted around April 5th. And that pretty much does it for news this week. Thanks for sticking with us. It was a big news week in Pokemon. Yes, it was. It totally was. And with that, we are going to head over to the main topic of our show tonight. Welcome to the main topic of our show tonight. Today, or tonight, depending on when you're listening to us, podcasts are so convenient. Yes, they are. We're going to be talking about ways that you can break out of the OU rut. The OU tier refers to Pokemon that are typically of high power and often used more frequently than other species of Pokemon, hence the term overused. Some notable examples of OU Pokemon are Dragonite, Hydreigon, Metagross, Tyranitar, and Volcarona. They're basically all of the Pokemon that you're probably mostly battling with right now. <laughs> True story. Uh, the tiers 
don't always necessarily mean the same thing. However, when we talk about OU, there are really two different OUs we could be talking about. The two primary sources for tiers come from Pokemon Online and Smogon University. Pokemon Online bases their tiers by tracking actual Pokemon usage on teams over a period of time. Even powerful Pokemon like Aerodactyl can be considered never used according to their tier lists, whereas Smogon University bases their tiers on stats and movesets. Pokemon who were assigned a tier rarely move from their spots except in generational switch shifts, such as the change from 4th gen to 5th gen. And that's a point of con- of contest- con- contestation, is that a word? Contestion? Con- con- I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> it's It can be a problem sometimes because you have these two different uh, tiers, and a lot of people will go with either the Pokemon Online tiers or the Smogun University tiers. So it's a good idea to know which tiers you're going to actually be competing with in a battle because sometimes even a difference in the underused tier or the un- or the never used tier can make or break a team that you're going to build for a competition. It's very true. I know our local Pokemon League tends to stick with the Pokemon online tiers whereas there are lots of forums that I visit online that are 100% about Smogon's tiers. And it's more of a personal preference really than anything else. I mean, Smogun does really well with analyzing the stats of all the Pokemon and what kind of movesets they use and determining, you know, how powerful these Pokemon will be and what kind of effectiveness they'll have on a team. But Pokemon Online is also really nice too because you get a feel that you have the majority of players using these Pokemon and that they're all very popular and that the you have a very clear delineation from which Pokemon will be used more frequently or less frequently than others will be. And there isn't always such a huge difference between the tiers. I mean, where Smogon works with the stats and things like that, the most powerful Pokemon that are obviously in the top tiers, but because they're, you know, powerful Pokemon, they're going to get used a lot more simply by that respect of being powerful. So a lot of the OU has an overlap between Smogon and Pokemon Online, just by the nature of how people play. Yep. So there's a lot of different ways that you can sort of get out of that rut, because once you've started with OU teams and you're getting used to all of these powerful Pokemon, you kind of get yourself maybe like six or seven of these OU Pokemon, and you battle with them almost constantly. And eventually that gets to be not so much fun. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot, too, at even our league play, where you get to a point where you're battling with, like you said, you know, the six or seven basic Pokemon that you have for an OU team, and you're getting almost to the point where you can predict exactly what Pokemon you're fighting will use, and it, I don't know, it gets, it starts to get awfully boring in a hurry. It does. So we've got a number of suggestions here for you to sort of break out of that box that you've constructed around yourself. And the first of which is probably the most obvious. Create a team of all UU or NU Pokemon. UU standing for underused and NU standing for never used. You can find the listings of NU, UU, and other tiers that are considered below OU on Pokemon Online and Smogon University. And I'll include links to both of those sites in the show notes for this episode, and we do have them as a permalink on the site. 
you could also try to limit a team to a few chosen abilities, too. One thing that I found that was really interesting that the Play Pokemon group will do for their Pokemon League official sanctioned events for each season they have will be they'll include with the trainer card a section known as the... Uh, known as the Bolt Badge VG Challenge Season or the Bolt Badge TCG Challenge, and it will stipulate that all Pokemon will have to have like things like a certain ability, like all your Pokemon in your team have to be limited to the abilities Lightning Rod, Static, Volt Absorb, and Motor Drive. And you could easily set up a tournament around something along those lines, where you could also do one for Pokemon that are mainly having uh, water-type abilities or having ground-type abilities. You know, the possibilities for that are relatively endless. And it's really neat, because when you restrict your team that much, you really have to focus in on creating some very tight synergy between the Pokemon. That's true. I mean, if you're running a po- if you're running a team like we have here with lightning rod, static, volt absorb, and motor drive, you're almost assuredly going to be using all electric type Pokemon and some ground type Pokemon, and you kind of have to be sure to carefully balance out how you're going to use all those Pokemon, considering that you're going to be fighting mainly Pokemon of the same type. Very, very true. Uh, we could also uh, create a monotype team using Pokemon that are traditionally about four of the same type and two Pokemon of different typing uh, to give the trainer some room for flexibility. And you can create teams, monotype teams, around any of the 17 types of elements, you know, fire, water, poison, ground, dragon, etc., and for an uh, even bigger challenge, you could also try for a full team of six Pokemon sharing the same type. But that's a little easier to do with some types than it is with others. It's I, true. It's really hard to do a full monotype team with some of the quote-unquote weaker elements like electric and poison. Poison would be really difficult to do. It would be very, very difficult. But if you feel up to the challenge, you know, go for it. You could probably pretty easily pull together a good monotype water team or maybe even a monotype fire team with six Pokemon. Yeah, because you have a lot of options with that too. I mean, you have a Chandelure, he's ghost fire. You have the Houndoom, who's dark fire. You have uh, the Volcarona, who's fire and bug. It's The fire type team would be really easy, and so would a dragon type team. Even though you have, you know, the vast majority of dragons being dragon flying, you still have a few other options in there to kind of shake it up a little. It's very true. My favorite suggestion, honestly, that this is the thing that really super excites me, is to try a monocolor team. Now, what is a monocolor team exactly? When you first mentioned it, I didn't even know what you were talking about with it. A monocolor team is a team of six Pokemon who all share the same color classification. And a Pokemon's color is listed in the Pokedex. For black and white users, um, all you have to do is use the search function within the Pokedex, and you have the option to choose a color. The colors that Pokemon are sorted into are red, blue, yellow, green, black, brown, purple, gray, white, and pink. Alternatively, there is a full listing of Pokemon color, Pokemon by color that can be found on Bubblepedia, and I will have a handy link to that on our website. This gives you some flexibility within typing, but challenges you to work with interesting and unusual constraints. For example, a monocolor red team could include Charizard, Porygon 2, 
Drudagon, Ponyard, Vileplume, and Jinx. Because all of those Pokemon have the color classification red. That would be a really interesting uh, tournament setup would be a monocolor one. It's so cool because all Pokemon, all 649 Pokemon have a color typing. They have a color classification. And it's just a random stat that nobody ever thinks about using. But because there's only 10 color typings, the groups are big enough where you can make some very interesting choices. True story. I love it. It does sound really cool. We're going to have to try and suggest that for our league for one of the tournaments coming up next month. We totally should. You could also try, I also saw using Pokemon that are all from the same region. Uh, While you could try to pull together an all-OU team from Pokemon within the same region, uh, it's in since the general theme is to try to break out of the OU box, it's encouraged to not limit to yourself limit yourself to that tier when you're choosing these Pokemon. Uh, think about Pokemon like uh, like the Butterfree that I mentioned earlier or the Raichu that Natil mentioned in our last podcast that you loved when you played the games associated with that region, even if it happens to be Pokemon that would be considered in the NU or the UU tiers. And it's, uh, it's actually pretty fun when you get down to it. Uh, we had a all-Unova Pokemon tournament a couple of months back, and it was actually really fun to figure out how to make some of these Unova Pokemon work when there were Pokemon that really, if you played the fourth-gen games, you migrated all these other Pokemon over, so you almost never used some of the Pokemon from the Unova region. So it was a really interesting way to try and uh, variate and uh, improve the experience that you had with some of these Pokemon that you might not have even considered playing with. It's true. And for younger players who maybe didn't really experience uh, first gen with, you know, Fire Red Leaf Green that came out before their time, or even third gen with Ruby Sapphire Emerald, because most of them have experienced second gen now with the release of Heart Gold Soul Silver. It can be really interesting for players that didn't get to experience those generations to dig in and learn about those generations of Pokemon and pull out a good team of Pokemon they haven't had any experience with before. True story. And it's also relatively easy now to get some of those Pokemon from the other generations if you don't have them or if you don't have a copy of any of the fourth gen games because we now have the dream world and given enough time and energy put into it, you could pull off some Pokemon from other regions that you normally wouldn't have any access to. It's very true. Our next suggestion is to do little cup teams. Tea. Little cup is very, very interesting to do. It's so cute. <laughs> it is the cutest of all of the suggestions. The little cup consists of teams built around Pokemon that meet certain criteria. They have to be able to evolve. They have to be the earliest possible evolutionary stage of their evolution chain. And they must not be what are considered little cup ubers, which are Pokemon like Carvana, Metatite, Scyther, Sneasel, Tangela, Vulpix, and Yanma. And they all have to be at level five. Level five. That's... Level five. That's an amazing restriction to put on some Pokemon. It's intense. Oh, it's serious Pokemon business. It's 
very difficult to create a little cup tournament for an actual handheld like your your actual DS. It's much easier to do it on Pokemon simulators like on Smogon or Pokemon Online where you can just artificially set the levels to 5. You can do it on the DSs though because you can use the Wireless Club Union Room located in any Pokemon Center in the games. And it'll allow you to play with Pokemon without auto-leveling them to 50, or I don't know if they even can level auto-level up to 100, can they? No, it doesn't. Nothing auto-levels to 100 in 5th uh, gen. In fifth gen. <laughs> That's unfortunate. It is. But uh, yeah, it will, it will allow you to play with Pokemon that are at level 5, but the only problem with the Union Room is that it allows both opponents to see each other's roster, so it kind of... I don't know, it sort of blows the surprise a little at some point in time, but still, in theory, you should be able to get around the thought that you'll be able to predict what your opponent will do. I mean, you do have all six Pokemon, and you don't know what kind of movesets they're all using. Well, and if it if it's really bothersome to you to know that you're going to be seeing your opponent's roster and your opponent is going to be seeing your roster, if you want to set up a Little Cup tournament and take that out of the equation... All you need to do is, you know, cut out X number of small cardboard pieces that trainers can stick over their screen oh, when that good. when that comes up. Because then, you know, it's like, oh, here, I don't see my opponent's roster. Click all my Pokemon to enter them. Done. That's a really good idea. It'll uh, work in a pinch. <laughs> yes, it will. And one other thing that I noticed, too, that a couple of our... Uh, fellow members at the league have mentioned was how do you train a Pokemon and still train it up and have it be only level five? Well, there is a way to get around that if you're willing to put in a lot of time and energy through the entry and through in the Enterlink function in fifth gen. And there, if you build up enough of the entry levels, you are able to unlock a power that is an experience point drain power. And it allows your Pokemon to actually earn less experience points for every battle it is involved in. So you're actually able to train your Pokemon and keep it artificially at low levels, even in the handhelds, which is a really interesting thought to have for a little cup for little cup preparation. It's a great way to stuff as many EVs as you can into level five Pokemon. <laughs> And, you know, honestly, if you're thinking about it at level five, you're not really going to see many positive benefits from your EV training, but you are playing at the little cup level, and it's also a very good idea to have it there just for that one or two extra points to maybe give your little baby Pokemon a little edge. I mean, I would hugely appreciate having, like, a little Ponyard or something be able to hit for one or two points more than you know, it normally would be without it. Well, and that's exactly it, because at the little cup level, your opponent's only going to have, you know, maybe 20 hit points. So that extra one or two points can really put you over the edge. Yes, it can. Our last suggestion is the middle cup. Yes, the middle cup is meant for the poor little middle children of the Pokemon universe that no one ever opts to really use in combat at all, unless you're in the main story function of the game. Uh, Pokemon like Quilava or Fracture or any other Pokemon that are the middle stage of their evolutionary chain will be permitted for this type of tournament. 
and there isn't a set level limit for these sorts of teams, but the Pokemon, like the like the term would imply, have to be the middle evolutionary form of their evolutionary chain. There are some Pokemon, though, that are typically banned from Middle Cup play, and those would be the Combuskin, the Chansey, and, unfortunately, the item Eviolite, because a Chansey with Eviolite would be far, far, far too broken. The Middle Cup Pokemon would never be able to defeat it. Well, and the thing about the Eviolite is that it's meant to bring some of these middle child Pokemon into bigger and better tiers to make them usable in other tiers. But when you're battling with all of these Pokemon that are, you know, the redheaded stepchildren of the Pokemon universe, (laughs) you you can't, you don't want to gimp the majority of them by allowing the good walls the item of Eviolite. It just, it sort of messes with the balance that the middle cup brings to these Pokemon. True story. But then I also probably wouldn't go Eviolite on the Chansey. I'd try to use the most uncommon item of all time on a Chansey, which would be the Lucky Punch. (laughs) I don't know if you remember what that is. I had to look it up again just to make sure they still had it in 5th gen. (laughs) But the Lucky Punch is an item that's supposed to be held by a Chansey that increases its critical hit ratio. I know a lot of people don't like the items that improve the critical hacks rate of Pokemon, but a Chansey with a Lucky Punch would be so epic. It totally would be. We need to have a middle cup Ubers tournament. Yes, we do. <laughs> That's so unbelievably esoteric. I know, right? Nobody uses the lucky punch ever. Just no, just the idea of having a middle cup Ubers battle is completely esoteric. Wow, what even what Pokemon would you even have in a middle cup Ubers tournament? Combuskin and Chansey. And then whoever, and Chansey. And then whoever else you wanted. and with that i think we will close out the main topic of our show we've left you with some great ideas on how to break out of that ou rut because i know that i speak well especially for me and i would hope that sam agrees with me when i say that a lot of these pokemon that aren't in the ou tier are no less viable to have on your team even in some of the higher tiers I would totally agree with that. I have some Pokemon that would technically be considered a UU or NU that I have had work every kind of wonder you could possibly think of in OU play or even UU play that, you know, you wouldn't think would happen, but it actually did. Like our Pokemon that we're going to be discussing today, which will which I'll be sure to explain in a anecdotal sense here in just a few minutes. So I guess what we're saying is play with the Pokemon that you love and try out some of these new battling techniques and see what you think about them. We would love to hear any stories that you have about, you know, battling with monocolor teams or your all NU team. So be sure that if you do this, you leave us a comment or send us an email. It would be greatly appreciated. Totally would be. And now we are going to enter surprise new segments. Welcome to the segment that Sam and I have decided that we are going to call Halfway Through Viridian Forest Without an Antidote. It's kind of, it came across as sort of the 
way for us to describe Pokemon frustrations because there, if you ever played any of the original red, blue, or yellow games, you know exactly what it was like to be walking around with a level 5 Pokemon in Viridian Forest with all the Weedles in there that kept poisoning you and not having an antidote to be able to cure it in there. It's so true. The, the general feeling is, ah, crap. I know, right? So with that, Sam and I are going to vent some of our Pokemon frustrations and hope that you either can relate to them or at least find them amusing. <laughs> I'm going to start this week. I've been breeding Drifloon. Oh, Drifloon. Yes. Uh, it's, it's an NU, Drifloon is an NU Pokemon, and I was super excited about it because I, I think that Drifloon are adorable. And Drifloon is awesome. There, it's, a, it's a good combination. So I got myself a Dream World Drifloon. Because oh. its, its Dream World ability is Flare Boost. So when it's fired, when it's burned, its special attack goes up. So I was gonna. 50, it's a fifty percent boost, right? Yeah. So you're essentially putting a free choice specs on your Pokemon without having choice specs on it. Yeah, it's it's a great, great ability. The only thing is that you know then you're on a, a counter because you're losing hit points every time from the burn. But my plan then was to give my Driftblim the Flame Orb and go to town on it. So I started breeding these Drifloon, and I was breeding and breeding and breeding for. Like maybe three weeks to, because my original uh, Dreamworld Drift Driftloon was very very poor in IVs, and as I'm going through this, they start getting better and better and better, and then I get the one that I think is going to be awesome. It's outstanding. It's timid because I just wanted that little bit of extra speed, because unlike you know it's non Dreamworld cousins, it's not gonna get unburdened true story so i've got this timid Drifloon, and it's an out it's outstanding in ivs and it tells me that nice. it's got perfect ivs in special attack hp and special defense very nice so i'm like yeah i bring so i bring up the cerebi iv calculator and i do my iv calculations and it turns out that it's attack iv is 30 it's defense IV is 30. Oh, that's brilliant. And it's speed IV is zero. What? Zero. That's horrible. I have never wanted to throw my DS across the room before that happened. And then I was just resisting the urge to stomp up and down on this thing and just rage quit Pokemon forever. Please don't throw your DS out the window. It loves you. I was so mad because I'd been, you know, it had, it had been that point where I thought that I had reached the ultimate apex of Drifloon. I was like, this is the most perfect Drifloon of, oh. I'm sorry. Oh, it, it pierced me in the heart like a knife. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I haven't I haven't bred any more Drifloon since. I put them all in my PC box, and now I'm gonna start breeding a different Pokemon because I just need a break. Yeah, that would be that'd be tough to get over. I'm not gonna lie. It was extremely disheartening. <laughs> so that's that's my my halfway through Viridian Forest without an antidote anecdote. Yes, and 
Mine is not quite as heart wrenchingly depressing as that. I mean, I mine, <laughs> mine was mine was frustrating, but at least I didn't feel the need to like. I didn't feel like a knife was piercing my heart. With this. <laughs> I, uh, if anybody has been looking and they're trying to figure out where this item is, I've been trying to find the light clay. I don't know how many other people have gotten it, and I don't know if I'm just the only one who's been having some sort of like terrible like cosmic intervention going on where I'll never obtain one. But light clay is an item that wild gallet hold with a 5% chance for them to hold it in the dragon spiral tower in fifth gen. But every time I try to go to dragon spiral tower and either catch or use the move thief on one of these wild gallets, I never, ever, ever get a light clay. And it's a huge disappointment to me because I have two different Pokemon that would be extremely good dual screeners, but those dual screeners need a light clay item for them to actually work. It's so frustrating in every way because I can't get a light clay. I can't say that it was, you know, a terrible wrenching piece of, you know, disappointment that I've been (laughs) feeling, but still, it's something that just... I don't know, it's almost a little soul-crushing to have to be like, oh, I'm sorry, Magnazone, but you can't get light clay. <laughs> you, you get no item. <laughs> no, but I can totally understand how frustrating that must be, because, you know, when there's only a 5% chance of these golet having it, not, not only do you have to, you know, encounter wild golet after wild golet after wild golet, there's only a 5% chance that every single one of them is going to be holding a light clay. And it just sounds like, you know, you'd think that, you know, after a hundred of them, five of them should have been holding a light clay. But no. no. But, but it sounds like you're you're experiencing a much smaller ratio. <laughs> I there, there, This game, it's given me so many good Pokemon over such a long period of time, but it seems like it's adamant that it will never, ever yield me a light clay. <laughs> Oh, and this whole uh, light clay antidote is sort of going to serve as our segue into our second surprise news segment, which we will be calling Velociraptor's Musings. Velociraptor's Musings. Indeed. What does Velociraptor have to do with the light clay? Hmm, I guess you're going to have to find out. Welcome to Philosteraptor's Musings. On today's discussion of deep Pokemon philosophy, we are wondering what would happen if all of the Golit were hoarding away their light clays somewhere in Dragon Spiral Tower. That is a very interesting question, because you would think that these Golit, since they carry light clay, would have light clay with them all the time, but it seems like only a select few are trusted with the light clay that they're holding. It's like a symbol of office, almost. Like, they're the super gallets of the gallet society that resides in Dragon Spiral Tower. I like the idea of there being an entire society of, of gallet, and the ones holding the light clay are the elite. What is it about the light clay that gallet likes so much? Is it is light clay like this 
really weirdly buoyant clay? Is it that light? I'm not sure. It makes the special little barriers. So maybe it's that they're, maybe it's that they're making a, f- maybe it's like pieces of their fortress or something. Maybe it's like a little piece of their huge Gaulet city fortress thing they have buried deep under Dragon Spiral Tower. Or maybe all the little golets with the light clay are just jerks building a no girls allowed fort somewhere in Dragon Spiral Tower. That's an interesting thought. <laughs> do do. I wonder, I wonder if anyone has taken a survey on if it's mostly male golet that hold the light clay. <laughs> Are the golet, do they have a gender? I actually don't. Oh, no, you know what? Golet probably don't have a gender. No, I don't think they do. Golet are probably genderless. Well, then that blows my idea out of the water. <laughs> I think for why the golet would have... I don't know. It seems really weird that the golet would attach themselves to light clay because the golet obviously aren't made out of light clay. I mean, maybe maybe they are made out of light clay. I mean, they technically are grounding ghost-type Pokemon. That would be extra weird, because then it's sort of like some kind of Catholic... Yes, the relics. Then, then it's like some sort of weird Catholic relic. I'm a golet carrying around a piece of another golet sort of thing. That would be a little creepy. That's a little creepy. I kind of I think that they're probably building some sort of fortress deep in Dragon Spiral Tower. Like, they're prepping for, you know, the Poke-Zombie apocalypse. They're preparing to build the Pokemon equivalent of the Fortress of Solitude. Oh, snap. So they are super golets. Yes, they are. Well, they evolve into the Golurks. That's very true. And Golurks are kind of, they kind of look like superheroes. Yes, they are. They're Gigantor the Space Age robots. <laughs> what if they're building, what if they're all of the Golet are building this fortress specifically for... The Golurk? The one Golurk. That's an interesting concept. They are, he's like their slave driver, and he's <laughs> forcing them to build the Fortress of Solitude. The Fortress of Solitude? Yes, the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> Pokemon joke. <laughs> <laughs> that one's credited to our league leader, Josh, because he is awesome. Yes, he is. But seriously, so that must be what's going on, right? It has to be. I can't otherwise consider conceive of an, a, a reason why these gallets are hoarding away light clays somewhere. And you know, it's just it's just bizarre to think about because they don't learn anything that you would consider to be a move that they would use the light clay for. It's got to be for some other purpose. It has to be, and it has to be because they feel that Golurk is super Golurk, and he needs a fortress of solitude. Yes, that is the only explanation. The only explanation. If you have another explanation, I dare you to bring it to me. (laughs) Yes, and you can send us an email or drop us a line to explain your theory on why the the Gallet are are hoarding away like clays in Dragon Spiral Tower. Otherwise, the Philostoraptors have spoken. Indeed. What kind of Pokemon are you? Do you do the things you do? Share with me your secrets deep inside. What kind of Pokemon are you? Are you loyal through and through? And do you have a heart that's true? What kind of Pokemon are you? This week's Pokemon Spotlight focuses on Persian, the classy cat of Kanto. Persian is known as the classy cat Pokemon in the Pokedex, and it evolves from Meowth. 
Unlike its pre-evolution, which is closer in appearance to a house cat, Persian has a biology similar to a large feline like a jaguar or panther. One of Persian's most prominent features is a red jewel in the center of its forehead, much like its pre-evolution has a coin cresting its forehead. This gem also is a big point of, content of contention for the fans who are attracted to the mysticism that the gem holds. Persian are known in Pokemon lore to be notoriously difficult to train, being fierce predators and tearing apart their prey, often harming their own trainers despite their regal appearance. Ironically, a Persian can be made docile by grabbing onto its whiskers. I would not try this with a regular cat, though. A regular cat might not approve. No, a regular cat might, you know, claw you. Indeed. <laughs> Persian are incredibly stealthy. They're capable of completely silent movement and can use their whiskers to, de to detect prey by tiny movements in the air alone. In keeping with their theme of being dangerous, crafty, skilled predators, Persians have the ability to learn moves such as Fake Out, Switcheroo, and Nasty Plot to give themselves an advantage, along with several attack options to cover bases that opponents wouldn't expect, like Power Gem and Thunderbolt. Their abilities also give them a very mystical vibe. Limber, limber prevents paralysis and can often get the drop on an opponent using a move like Thunder Wave, where Technician boosts the power of many of Persian's moves to extremely lethal levels. The move Bite, for example, which only has a base power of 60, becomes a base power 90 attack, and the flinch rate on that move is just brilliant. It's the kind of move that you can flinch hacks a Pokemon to death with. It's very true. Persian was made famous in the Pokemon anime for being the primary Pokemon of the series antagonist and leader of Team Rocket, Giovanni. For an in-depth look at the Persian's use in the video games, uh, you can check out my post on this classy feline at the Pokedex Project. That's thepokedexproject.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you can find back episodes of The Underground on iTunes or at our website, theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com. Please subscribe to the show via the iTunes store or directly through the RSS feed on our website. Feel free to drop us a review on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them with the nearest deli bird to our mailbag. Or you could just email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. So until next time, Pokefans, remember that our secret base is always open to you, if you can find it.
The Underground Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Pokemon is a registered trademark of Nintendo, Game Freak, 4Kids Entertainment, and Wizards of the Coast. All original textual, audio, graphical, and video content associated with this podcast are the sole property of Nadeel Erickson and Samuel Rankey.